you have your Bible or your flat screen, go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus chapter 20. Um, And while you're doing that, uh, just lean over to the person to the right or the left of you or whoever you came with and say, what are we doing for lunch? Just go ahead and ask them now. Just get it out of the way. Say, what are we doing? Uh, Yeah, no, get it out of the way. I know how it goes. About 1140, you'll lean over to your spouse and say, hey, order Chipotle because I forgot. Uh, But anyway, if you're new here, my name is Mike. I'm the outreach pastor. I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, We are week seven uh, in this 10-week series on the Ten Commandments, and you chose a fantastic Sunday to be here. Uh, we are talking about none other than adultery. Um, last summer, we were going through Proverbs, and we talked uh, on the same idea or topic. Uh, you might want to bring me down just a hair. I sound like I'm in a tunnel. But anyway, thank you, uh, Andy. But anyway, uh, we talked about Proverbs, and, we, and we, in Proverbs, we talked about the same idea of adultery. And uh, this morning, I was talking with Pastor Nathan. I was like, man, I always get stuck with these sermons, like on adultery and stuff. He was like, dude, just embrace it. You're the adultery guy. I was like, what does that mean, man? He's like, I don't know. God wants you to teach on adultery. So uh, nonetheless, Exodus chapter 20, you're going to want to be there. Um, and as we are jumping into this, uh, we have three more weeks. Next week, we'll be on stealing and then lying and then coveting, and then we'll jump through Uh, some summer series, but um, as we've been walking through this uh, series, a lot of the things that maybe some of you have thought you knew about the Ten Commandments have not been true. Or maybe you thought you knew the Ten Commandments in general, but if you were asked, you wouldn't know what the Ten Commandments are. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, why, why do we have the Ten Commandments? What is the purpose of these laws or these commandments to us from God? Um, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to that have uh, talked about the Bible, and they will, what they will say is this, that is none other than just a big rule book. You ever heard that? You ever felt that? It's just a big rule book. You got the Ten Commandments. You got the 613, for some of you Bible gurus, Old Testament laws. And in all of these pages, there are 1,050 commandments. Commands of thou shall and thou shall not. That feels like a lot. Doesn't it feel just, just you, can't, you can't even wrap your mind around it? I don't even know if I know a 1,000 things commandments of thou shalt, thou shalt not. I don't think I could make that many things up. And what I remember, I was a middle schooler at Mogador. We were in math class. There was a girl across the the aisle. And I remember someone debating with her about the Bible. I was spectating. And she said, the only thing God wants to do is take things from us that feel good. That was her perspective. And she grew up, she grew up hearing sermons about the Ten Commandments. She was from a church in Magador. She said her grandpa was one of the pastors. She said, God just wants to take things that feel good. A lot of people and a lot of us have this perspective on the Ten Commandments or even this commandment that God just wants to take from us. He wants to make life hard. He wants to make life difficult. He wants to, to make it really, really constraining Right? We mention all these commandments, and we feel like, why, why would God, in a sense, feel like he enslaves us? 
you have to remember and you have to bring into perspective in this time in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20, we just look at the Ten Commandments. That's all we see. But we don't see the history. If we were to look at the history and for some of you to take some time to read the history, the people of God are enslaved. They are enslaved to Pharaoh who is enslaving them and just working them to death. The people of God are constrained and they are crying out for God to save them. And who does God bring? He brings a man named Moses. Moses is a man who has a tender heart toward God's commandments. Pharaoh has a hard heart towards God's commandments. And when they both are trying to hear from God or listen from God, one of them listens to God and the other one does not. Pharaoh rejects and will not listen to God. So what does God do? He sends what is called plagues, warnings. Hey, you should listen to me. Let my people go is what he is saying because true freedom, true freedom is the ability to do what you are made for, which is worship. The ability, the people of God who are enslaved and they want to be free to worship God. They don't want to be constrained. So he is giving these commandments to Moses as the people of God are being set free. And as they're being set free, anytime you leave people off to do whatever they want, what will they do? Whatever they want, right? You do whatever is right in your, in your own eyes. So he gives the Ten Commandments. It says in Job twenty two twenty one. If you'd pull it up for me, it says, agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. It says in Romans 2, uh, 15, it says that the law of God or his commandments are written on our hearts. A lot of times you don't have to convince people of what the Bible says. I don't have to convince people that stealing is wrong. I'll steal from them. They agree with the Bible, right? Leave your front door unlocked and tell me if you don't agree with God. Just leave it open. Steal their wallet. People would agree that lying is wrong or maybe not wrong until you lie to them. People would agree with God, and a lot of, them, a lot of people don't even realize how much you agree with God. It's written on our hearts. Agree with God and be at peace, and thereby good will come to you. We do not serve a God that is a karma-based God, okay? Um, th- this would take a lot to develop, but just real quick, we don't obey his commandments so that he blesses us. We don't do what God says so we can manipulate him, rub the jar, and then he'll give me exactly what I want. We don't serve God so that he will do good to us. We serve God because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We serve out of love, not out of duty. Because if you serve God out of duty, you will be left short. You will think that you deserve or earn more than God would ever give you. Agree with God. Be at peace and good will come to you. And what does it mean when the Bible talks about good coming to you? It's a right relationship with God and with man. The Ten Commandments, the first four, are vertical, our relationship with God. The last six, as we're in, they're all relational with other people. It's all dealing with these things. And a lot of today, um, anytime you teach on adultery, there's always the large percentage would say, well, I'm, I'm glad because it's just not relevant to me. It just doesn't feel like it's something that's you know, prevalent in my life or what I am dealing with. And so for a lot of us today, this will just be one of those things that you just... You hear, 
you take in and you put it in your back pocket. You say, hey, here's some principles I should apply. Here's some things I should prepare for. Here's some things that I have seen take place. And it's more of, God, what would you want me to get out of today? What would you want me to agree with you on and thereby peace will come to you? Before we jump into the commandment, I want to answer the question, what is marriage? What is marriage? It says in Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I find it very interesting that Satan does not show up until Adam and Eve get married. Whatever God creates, the devil tries to counterfeit. Here's what it says in Malachi. It says, The Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by what? Covenant. God designed marriage to be his purpose or design. It was one man, one woman, one lifetime. That is his purpose. And no matter what any Supreme Court decision will be, that will be the stance that God has on marriage doesn't matter the weight we're feeling in, the pressure coming in, how culture will, uh, cre- how will they'll allow diversity in the name of uh, intolerance or tolerance. We're, we don't feel any pressure from that because it's a covenant, one man, one woman, one lifetime. Now, here is what God has designed. So how does the devil counterfeit? Here's what he does. God creates one man, one woman, one lifetime covenant devil will counterfeit and he'll say civil contract. It's just a civil agreement. God creates love and forgiveness. The devil counterfeits with hate and bitterness. Anytime that God creates something, the devil will try to counterfeit that. Now, what is marriage purpose for? Why would God give this to us as a good gift? Because he looked at the man and he said, what? It ain't good. It ain't good that he is alone. And this is truly breaking out in a song. If you look at Genesis 2, 23 and 24, he starts to break out in a song. And Eve, I mean, she's, she's hooked. That's why all the girls are chasing guys with guitars. I never understood that. That's like, that is Genesis 2 stuff. All the guys with a guitar, girls just falling over, chasing them around. So anyway, um, total rabbit trail. Uh, creates marriage for us as a gift. And the devil attacks marriage, and he wants to ruin it in any possible way he can. And adultery is one of the ways that the devil will do that. It says in Psalm 128, the purpose of marriage is for the husband to love his wife, as a, and she will be like a fruitful vine. That she'll grow and flourish and be all that she is meant to be. And how the, even talks about children should be olive shoots and how it should be this beautiful vine. And what the devil will do is he will come and try and cut the vine. That it will just be destroyed and adultery will cut the vine and it's impossible to restore. feels impossible to restore. I need you to raise your hand for something. I'm not going to ask you what I'm thinking I'm going to ask you. But how many have you heard this phrase? Adultery is just as prevalent inside the church as it is outside the church. Go ahead and raise your hand. Let me see. Okay. I, I've heard that too. You want to know what the problem with that is? It's wrong. Very wrong. It's not, it is nowhere in any stats anywhere. It just sounded really good. And some pastor said it and we were like, that sounds good. Um, and there was a, a uh, guy at, at Virginia University named Brad Wilcox, and he does a ton of marriage and family studies. He's a Catholic guy, Catholic individual, 
He did all these studies, and just recently, just recently did, took 2,000 marriages, 2,000 of them. And they watched, and they studied, and they looked at all the different marriages. And you know someone does the right research when they come away with their religion being wrong. He walked away, and he really has a book on it, and he said the best marriages, the most committed marriages, the ones where the wives were most happy, the one where the children had the most fun with their parents, the ones who were most faithful in their marriages, guess who it was? Christian marriages. It was Christian men, they said, were the best men. It was the men who were in authority to someone, which was God. He said those marriages were the best. Now, why do I share that? Because what we are talking about today in God's standard is not just some hypothetical, um, archaic advice from God. What God has designed and what God has said works. That we would agree with God and be at peace with him and with others. I got three things that I'm going to go rather quickly on the penalty for divorce. And the first one is this, death. Yeah, super light today, right? Uh, if a, a man commits adultery, I said, one of these days I want to preach in here on like love. I feel like that would be a good sermon to preach, like on how God loves you. But anyway, they're all like that. But if a man commits adultery with, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, adultery in, in its true form is a married woman, a married man, one of them sleeps with someone outside of the marriage. That is adultery in what it means. He's saying if that takes place, kill him. Now, the only thing, <laughs> I heard a pastor say, the only thing different while some of you are here today is you were born in a tif- different time zone. Uh, and so, uh, and this is true for, I mean, really all Ten Commandments. If we were to look at, there's laws in Leviticus talk about how someone should be put to death. Now, what is the argument? Man, your God just, why is he always killing people? Right? Why is he always, I mean, we talked about murder last week. Why is God always murdering people? Why is he killing people? Why are people being put to death? I thought God was a God of life and love. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? And and even when we talk about the idea of homosexuality, they'll say, well, if you wear the same fabric, you should be put to death as well, right? And, And it's always this argument. Now, here's what we forget. It says in Ezekiel 18 that the soul that sins dies. The wages of sin is what? Death. You guys got it. You already know. I didn't even preach today. It's, you, you know that it is death. It's separation with God. And when we commit this sin or even really any sin, it's, it's deserving of death. Whether it's adultery whether it's stealing, whether it's lying, because what people like to do and what we like to do is we like to come onto a commandment and stand over top of it. We judge it. I would never do that. I've never done that. I grew up in church. I went to Awanas. I got a, 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 you know, a vest and patches to prove it. I'd never do that. I can't find the vest. I wish I had it. I can't. You, you, we look over top of it. And he is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. The, the reality is this is deserving of death. And then some of the argument would say, well, Old Testament kings and rulers, they committed adultery. As one man said, I have the same sex drive as Solomon. He did it. David committed adultery. 
seemed like God was okay with that. As one man talked to me, said, it just happened. And it was over a five-year period. And at this point, I don't feel bad about doing it. It doesn't feel bad. Well, I guess God's okay with it then. In the name of tolerance and diversity. It's the wages of sin is death. The, the reality is it's death. And what we would say, as we, even when people bring up the idea of Old Testament characters, just because something happened doesn't mean God was standing over top of it celebrating it. Just because he allowed something to take place, and I wouldn't necessarily make David your go-to guy. I wouldn't make Solomon your go-to guy. I mean, you look at characters in the Bible, it doesn't justify, just because something happened in the Bible, doesn't give us the freedom to do it, and it doesn't override a command. Number two, penalty for adultery is divorce. Now, the re- I, I misquoted this. It's Matthew 19, 9. I'll just read it. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, I didn't even want to bring this up because you just opened a can of worms, right? I didn't even want to to say it just because it's like there's so much to be said. It could be five weeks on divorce. Um, But I have to because it's in in the Bible, right? And so real quick, in Romans 7, in 1 Corinthians 7, and in Matthew 19, there is what is called the grounds for divorce for three things. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. That... We would say, even when someone's getting married, we would never say you should rush into marriage, right? You never make a quick decision into marriage. I tell couples that the the best day or the most important day of your marriage is not the first day, right? It's the last. It's to look at your spouse and say, we made it. We did it. And for, for a lot of people, this idea of divorce, it's, we would say, even if there is adultery, you never rush out. It's never the first advice. It's never the go-to answer. But we can't ignore that when the vine is cut at the bottom, it is very hard to restore. It is, it is very hard to bring back together. And we would never encourage and push people in this direction, but it is something Jesus talked about when the Pharisees came to test him in the law of Moses, and he says, it was because your what? Hardness of heart. He gave grounds for divorce. Like I said, so much could and should be said about this. I can only touch on it for a few minutes. And it is never something that when someone comes in and there's been adultery taking place, we never say, well, this is what the Bible says, so go for it. That's never the first advice. You don't rush in. And you never rush out, even on anything that you have grounds for. Number three, penalty for adultery, is damnation. So we have death, divorce, and damnation. Paul says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The reason I underline deceived is, when you become deceived, it just is like, I think the, the Greek word means you're just really dumb. I don't think it's that, I'm just making it up. But you're just, you become really dumb, you're deceived, you're, you lie to yourself. He says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Go to the next slide for me. 
And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Here's what's crazy. We live in a day where we throw parades for people for the same thing God sends people to hell for. We live in a culture where the things that are up front in your face is the same thing that sends people to damnation for. With that being said, with that being said, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Pull up the next slide for me. Forgetting what you were saved from leads to forgetting who you were saved for. So at the same time I say throwing up parades for things is the same time we should say, it shouldn't draw hate from my heart, but rather, God, help me to reach them. That I would not forget, that I would not stand over the commandment of adultery or homosexuality or lying or murder, stand over it and say, not me, but I would stand over that and say, God, would you help me to reach them? And then this other thought is this, all sin is equally damning, but not equally devastating. I always have stories of getting pulled over. Two weeks ago, I was driving on Cottage Grove. For some ungodly reason, the speed limit's like 25. Okay, it's 35. I, have no, I want to call the mayor and get this thing ironed out. Like, this is a nightmare. That thing should be 50 at the minimum, okay? So anyway, I'm, I'm driving down Cottage Grove, and I'm with my wife, and we pass. And I'm, I mean, when I see a cop, I start to sweat. Like, and even if I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I'm looking down. And so he turns around. He, he pulls me over. Now, as a church, uh, what we've been doing, I've been taking meals to the police departments, right, as the outreach pastor, thanking them, hey, we're behind you guys, we love you guys, we support you, here's a meal, some shirt, you know, here's a card, we love you. And I told Hope, I was like, I'm taking a meal to this guy tomorrow. Like, I'm not, that's not a joke. I was going to the sheriff's in Summit County over there on Cottage, or on uh, 619, and I was like, should I tell him? Should I just, should I tell him? She was like, babe, you can't tell him. So... I told him, and uh, he, he comes up, and he starts to, you know, and he's, he's my age. He's younger, and I was like, bro, I am so, I didn't call him bro. <laughs> Deputy Brown, uh, I, I am so sorry. And he was like, do you know how fast you're going, man? I said, I, I, I really don't. I, I know it was fast. He said, 52 and a 35. And I was like, I am so sorry. He said, he said, I just ran your plates. You got pulled over for the same speed limit in December on Wise Road. I said, 52 and a 30. He said, it was the same one. I was like, oh man. Gave him my stuff. He comes back and I think he's writing a ticket, right? So I said to my wife, I was like, I got to tell him I'm bringing him lunch tomorrow. I have to tell him. I was like, we support you guys. Like I'm from the church. I'm a pastor. And I was like, hey, I need to say something. He said, hey man, I'm just going to give you a warning. I just want to let you know. So anyway, took him a lunch the next day. Something to joke about. It was funny. But but here's the moral of the story, not that you should speed, not that you should do these things. Uh, the, the moral of the story is this. All sin is equally damning, but not equally devastating. If I drive over the speed limit, if I lie, if I tell white lie, if I steal $5 from Momo, um, or if I commit adultery, is that the same, is that equally devastating? Not a chance. Some people will say, well, all, all sin is equal in the eyes of God. It's equally damning, but it is not equally devastating. It is nowhere near equally devastating. 
and for what some people will say, and I want to give you some stats. And I actually needed some help with this because stats are always tough because you know people lie. Um, you know people will argue over semantics. Well, what do you mean? You know, and um, anytime you have people who are um, caught, they'll just start making stuff up and really twisting it. But here's some of the stats, and I needed some help just because I wanted to be careful looking up some of this stuff, because you know how it goes. Um, Maryland Family Journal did a study on, I I think it was a couple thousand Christian couples. 41% admitted to committing adultery. 17% admitted that it was with their brother or sister-in-law. The average was around two years. Of the children, of the children of those couples, 200% will get a divorce, will, will commit the same sin of adultery and commit a divorce if their parents have. It says in Exodus 20, verse 3 and 4, when it talks about idolatry, it says the sin transferring to the third and fourth generation. There are two major websites out right now. They said, or last at, they said 74% of men and 68% of these women would agree to adultery if they wouldn't get caught. Two of the major websites out um, for Christians to, to commit adultery are ashleymadison.com. They have 20 million users. The two biggest days are Mother's Day and Father's Day. Their tagline is, life is short, have an affair. The second one, which is up and coming, is for Christian swingers. Here's the tagline, a dating site for faithful couples so religious people won't judge you. I would be one. I I would be one. We are deceived. We are tremendously deceived, right? It It is something that is devastating on the family, on the unit. And some of you, when I'm talking about this, this isn't something out there. This is something you have felt personally that God has, you I mean, you've experienced this and you, I mean, it's not other than it's, it's right now. It's where you're at. And I want to transition because I'm running out of time. Matthew 5 if you'd pull it up for me, 27 and 28. Adultery starts with our heart and moves to our hands, it should say. But it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. A lot of times you'll hear people say, well, the God of the Old Testament, I'm not a fan of him. He's mean. He killed people, Sodom, Gomorrah. He, you know, you, you, they'll bring up the guy of the Old Testament. I'm like, that's fine. Let's talk about, the, let's talk about Jesus. Because he takes this and he goes, he's going to raise the bar. And the reason he does this is because he's talking to religious people, like a lot of us in the room, where we sit there and judge the commandment. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't you use the Bible as a mirror? Why don't you let it reflect your own heart? He says this because, so, so every single person who has a pulse says guilty. That you don't escape this one. Jesus just has a way of putting you in a corner and just saying, you're you're guilty. You're guilty. That no one says, well, only when I was a teenager. Right? He, He brings it right back so you would say guilty. That it starts with our heart and it moves to our hands. Most sin starts that way. Almost all sin starts with your heart and moves to your hands. I want to give seven quick things. It's not going to be quick, but we're going to make it quick. God's advice for all people. 
Because whether you're married in here today or you're not married, I think that this, this commandment can be all-encompassing. Singles, fornication is an internship for adultery. And that seems strong. But if you are dating someone, if you're with someone, and, and, and whatever God would say, you can't keep that commandment anyway, what would make you think that on wedding day they will shift and start to honor God in your marriage? It's just an internship for adultery. It's getting you prepared for that type of lifestyle. Because if God doesn't matter when you're dating, he might not matter when you're married. Number two, married couples, frequency is the best policy. And all the engaged guys said, amen, right? You're, it, it, does, it does teach this in the Bible. You can't get around it. it. It truly does. He says that your body is not your own. It's your spouse's. It's not your own. It's your spouse's. Proverbs 5 talks a ton about this. Number three, make a covenant with your eyes to protect your heart. In Job 31.1, it says, I have made a covenant, a promise with my eyes not to gaze upon a woman. That you make, it starts with your eyes, moves to your heart, and finishes out with your hands. Number four, purity needs a want to and a plan of how to. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, it talks about how married couples should have frequency because Satan will come and tempt you. If there is any area where Satan is going to attack, deceive, um, pervert, divide, it's over this. And it's over, and you would, you don't even need me to convince you. You already know. You already know. It's something that you don't think's a big deal, and then it becomes a big deal. And next thing you know, you thought it was just a friendship. And next thing you know, I thought it was just a text. He's always going to divide this. And so you need a plan of, I want to do this, and here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to make sure that I have someone, I'm going to give someone permission to ask me questions that I'm not going to. I'm not going to want anyone to ask me this when I'm in the midst, but I'm going to give permission, a plan of want to and how to. Number five, have personal legalisms to help you stay pure. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you. Such is common to man. God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But that doesn't negate the fact that you should have some personal legalisms. You should have some things that, they're not Bible things, they're just Mike things. They're not Bible things, but it's just something for me because I know myself and once I get really dumb and really deceived, really deceived Mike will do some crazy stuff. So I have personal legalisms to make sure my screen faces this way, my, my passwords are open to all, that there's nothing that's gonna, gonna keep me from a, a plan of want to, a how to, and personal legalisms. Number six, if you have nothing to hide, then hide nothing. It says in Proverbs 5, 23, it talks about having, having true discipline and, and the discipline that, that keeps us in Proverbs 5 from, from adultery and sexual sin. If you have nothing to hide, keep the principle of just hiding nothing. If you have the, the principle of hiding nothing, it's really freeing. Like I said, freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. It's the ability to do what you were made for. Number seven, come clean before you get caught. Yeah, just end with that one here today. In 2 Samuel 11, talks about David and Bathsheba's sin. Once he committed the sin, he had to hide it. He lied about it. He killed a man over it. It ended up coming forward. It just, it buried him further than it needed to. 
It just took him further than he needed to. If he would have came clean right away, hey, I messed up, I made this decision, there's still consequences. It's still devastating, but it's less devastating. It's less dividing. It's, if you just keep hiding it and burying it, as it said, the average stat is two years. If you're saying, come clean before you get caught, it's, gonna, it's always going to go better the sooner rather than later. And how I want to end today is reading John chapter 8. It says this in verses 1 to 11. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. I love, love stories like this in the Bible. I just can't get enough of them. Because a lot of you are like, I'm just too bad for these people. I mean, they can't know the real me. And then you read the Bible and you're like, they're nuts. Like, this is ter- these people are terrible people. Caught in the act of adultery. Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? When they do this, this is not because they want to know what he is saying. It says in previous verses, they're testing him. A lot of times people will ask questions, Bible questions, not because they want to obey them, but because they want to justify themselves over other people. Tell us what the Bible says about this commandment. Tell us what it says about this. It's not because they want to obey. It's not because they want to submit. It's because they want to point a finger. So Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And he said, and we don't know what he wrote. ton of speculation. We have no idea. I'll just, as pastors, we, we have literally no idea what he wrote. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And when they heard this, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Because sometimes when you're young enough, you still think you got it together, right? The older you get, you're just like, I'm a mess. You're like, he's talking to religious, the older people are like, there's no way. I mean, whatever he wrote down, they knew. So they start to be dismissed. They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman. You can imagine, just for a second, this conversation. The woman who's been caught in adultery, I mean, it's an ugly scene. It's not pretty. It's not PG. Jesus is sitting there. Religious people are walking away. They've all left, and it's her and him. It's her. It, that's it. You can imagine the shame, the guilt, I mean, public I mean, you want to talk about viral, all of that. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And Jesus said, no, or she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Committing adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Unbelief in Christ is the unforgivable sin. When you come to Christ, whether it's adultery, it's pride, it's murder, it's coveting, it's, it's any of these commandments, it says in 1 Timothy that the law should be used lawfully. That when we look at it, we would say, God, I need help. My heart is deceived. My mind is deceived. The Ten Commandments are here for us today. So it would push us to Christ. Not that we point the finger, but we look at it as a mirror. And he reminds her, he forgives her, and he releases her. And he wants to do that with all of us in our sin. Caught right in the act. 
There's no hiding. There's no justifying. There's no manipulating. I, I got nothing. And he says, I do not condemn you. It says in the Bible, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And when you come to Christ, he forgives, he releases, and he reminds. Sin no more. But you are forgiven. The burden you feel, the weight you feel, the emotional guilt you feel, the spiritual guilt you feel, all of that is freely and forever gone in Christ. And that is what the gospel is all about. As you come, it's just as you are. He doesn't regret it. He doesn't regret you. He doesn't regret your mistakes as you are today. All of that, Jesus says, come. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you, you may have life. And he anticipated, anticipated you and I would commit sins like this. That our heart would fall short like this. And yet, he forgives. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Bible. We thank you how it guides us, it directs us. Lord, we thank you for the Ten Commandments. Would we not view the Ten Commandments or the Bible in general as you stripping things from us and trying to rob joy from us and rob life from us, but rather you're giving life to us. God, we ask that you would help us to use these commandments as a mirror, not as a pointer. But God, would you help us to be people who would not forget what we were saved from, to who should we be saved for, God? And would we reach people far from you caught in this sin? And even those who are here today, they, they feel the weight of this commandment, the Ten Commandments, the Bible. Would you, Holy Spirit, right now just prick their heart? Would they want to come clean, or would they ask for forgiveness? And would they find that in Christ, and would they feel no guilt or no shame, whatever they've done or how far they have gone. God, we love you. We thank you. Without you, we would not be here this morning or even have the ability to think about you in such a way. We pray this in your name. Amen.